Good to be together this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I found that interview with Helen tremendously challenging, but also, as a preacher, tremendously encouraging, because it was as uh, Helen heard a sermon uh, and then encountered a kind of call from God that related to that sermon that she responded. And our theme this morning is the God who calls. So let's pray with a bit of expectancy this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks through your word and prompts us by your Holy Spirit to respond. So, Father, we pray this morning that we might hear your words, we might ponder them and know the challenge of them. Lord, would you use your word this morning to change us, to build us up, and to cause us to respond as you would call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder whether your life ever feels a bit insignificant, whether you feel that your life doesn't really amount to much. You're just a small speck in a vast, uh, immeasurably huge universe. Maybe you feel a bit of an also-ran in the history of humanity. It is quite easy to feel that way, isn't it? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you live with regret. You feel that your life isn't what you had hoped it would be, perhaps because of mistakes you've made or things that have happened to you, life decisions that feel as if they've robbed you of a future. Well, I hope that by the end of this sermon, you'll realise that you don't need to feel that way because God called you into a relationship with him and, and his people that places you at the centre of his plans and purposes for the world and the universe. And there is no greater place to be than the place where God calls you to be. And if you're thinking this morning that can't be true for me, then listen very carefully because no one felt more that way than Moses as we meet him at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3. So we're going to see this morning that God is a God with a big plan, a big plan of deliverance, of salvation for the world, and that in his purposes, he called you and me into a fresh start with him to become part of those plans and to have a key part to play in his plan. The remarkable truth of Moses' call in Exodus 3 is that God uses ordinary human, human people like you and me, sinful, weak, flawed individuals, to carry out his great purposes in the world. So do, uh, hopefully you've got your Bibles in front of you, open at page 59. But let me just uh, give us a quick reminder of where we are in the story of the Bible, the story of God and his people. Right back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates, doesn't he? We read of mankind's rebellion and the breakdown in the relationship between God and the people that he's made. But God began right from the beginning a great plan to restore his estranged creation to himself. And it all began with one man, Abraham. God made promises to Abraham that through him and his offspring, the whole world 
will be blessed. Every nation will be blessed through you and your offspring, Abraham, God says. God is restoring his creation to himself and it begins with the people of Abraham. But when we get to Exodus, as we saw last week, things look as though they've got a bit stuck. The Hebrews, or Israelites as they were called, were numerous, but they were in captivity in Egypt. And Egypt was the global military power of the day. Look at the end of Exodus chapter 2, where we read this. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. Where is God, they must have thought. What's happened to those great promises to Abraham? Has God's plan for bringing blessing to the world through the people of Israel failed? Has God somehow been stumped? Is he a frustrated God? Well, if you were an Israelite in Egypt, you might well have been asking that kind of question. It might well have felt that way. But the good news is, God is not unaware. Their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned for them. God is poised to act. God has a plan and Moses is his man. Come with me to Exodus 3 and verses 1 to 6. Moses was tending his flock, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this... Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Just from those few verses, see what we learn about God. Notice three things about him. First of all, he knows Moses. He knows him by name and draws Moses' attention to him in a a, a strange way, a burning bush in the wilderness that raises Moses' curiosity, a peculiar calling to Moses. The second thing we learn is that God is holy. It's no small thing to meet with God and we can only do it on his terms. God says, take off your sandals, Moses. It's what a servant would do in the presence of his master in ancient times. Respect and submission in the presence of God. Maybe this encounter of Moses with God was on the mind of the writer to the Hebrews when he wrote, our God is a consuming fire. 
And Moses bows his head when he realises that he's in the presence of a holy God. And then thirdly, look at how God introduces himself in verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. How does God introduce himself? Not by name at this point. He introduces himself by his works in the past. God hasn't appeared from nowhere. He's the God whom Moses' fathers knew because they'd seen his works. I'm the God your dad and your granddad believed in, is what God's saying in effect to Moses. And I'm coming to deliver on my promises to your people, to my people. It's as if God is saying to Moses, I'm here to continue this story of salvation that I began with Abraham. And Moses, you're going to be part of it. As if hearing God speak from the burning bush weren't enough, Moses gets another shock in the form of an awesome, life-changing and world-shaping task. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wow, put yourself in Moses' sandals for a moment. He's gone from leading his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness to being called by God to this mighty task. And not surprisingly, Moses has got a couple of key questions. The first one is this. God, sorry, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Why me? It's a fair question, isn't it? God, have you got the right person Don't you remember what I've done? You see, Moses, as he leads his sheep through the wilderness, must have reflected on the fact that his best days were surely behind him. He'd been born an Israelite. His early life was promising. Remember last week how he was drawn from the water. God's hand seemed to be on him. It looked like he was blessed by God and had a bright future. But then he'd made a serious error of judgment. He'd got into a fight and he'd killed a man. And now he's a murderer on the run. He's a fugitive in a foreign country. No longer the prince of Egypt, but a shepherd in the wilderness. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land, he says in chapter two. He's a man with a past, not a man with a future. Who am I, God? Have you got the right person? Who am I that I should go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who's going to remember me in Egypt? It's been years. And even if they do remember me, it's not going to go well. Well, it might be that Moses is full of self-doubt, but it may also be that he's trying to wriggle out of God's call on his life because it's a tough call. I wonder whether you find yourself making excuses to God when he prompts you to respond to something. It would have been very easy for Helen to ignore that call, given what she's just told us about her life. God, you can't be asking me to do this. I'm not the right person. Don't you know what I'm like, God? 
Or maybe I'll do what you're asking once I've sorted out my life. Here I am, Lord. Send someone else. Well, God's answer to Moses is the answer he gives to us when we have similar questions and doubts. God's answer is along the lines of, don't worry about who you are, because, verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you, says God. So Moses' next question is probably an obvious one. Moses asks, God, who are you? What's your name? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God, I can't just go to the Israelites and say, the God my dad believed in has sent me to lead you. It's just not going to work, is it? They'll say, well, what's his name? God, what can I tell them? That's a relevant question for us today, isn't it? For the church, as we go out into the world, what's our authority in a society that doesn't believe? Who shall we tell them sent us? Someone recently lent me a book uh, which was called God Has a Name. You see, the word God is a bit of a problem today, isn't it? There was a time in the West when the worldview of most people was shaped by the Bible and by the church. So that if you said, I believe in God, most people would immediately think about the God that we meet in the Bible, the God of creation, the God of salvation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was God. Most people a couple of generations ago would understand who you were talking about, even if they didn't believe in him. But today when we say God, people might think of any number of things. They might see God in any number of different kinds of ways, depending on the country of their birth, their language, their religion, their church experience, school experience, background, the faith of their parents, etc., etc. People will fill the word God, they'll load into it their own images and beliefs. And they probably won't be biblical ones. But the true God, the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, the God that we meet in the Bible, has made himself known. He is a God with a name, a God that we can have a relationship with, a God who's not just revealed his name, but his character too. Look with me at verse 14. See, God doesn't reveal his name to Moses straight away. He reveals something of who he is, his character. I am who I am. It's a mysterious, enigmatic way for God to describe himself It's hard to get a grasp on what is meant by I am who I am. It kind of means I will always be what I've always been. I am what I always was. I will be what I always have been. But it also gives a kind of feel of God not being dependent on anyone or anything else. I'm the one who simply is. I am absolute The writer of the psalm says, God has established his throne in the heavens. He does as he pleases. 
He's not dependent on anyone. I am who I am is is to say that God is self-sufficient. Unlike you and me, he doesn't have any unmet needs or unsatisfied desires. Perhaps the picture of the burning bush is, uh, is relevant. It's a bush that kept burning all by itself without being extinguished. God is eternal and unchanging. But then God does give Moses a name to go with. It's a name that's very similar in Hebrew to I am who I am. And that name is Yahweh. Say to the Israelites, Yahweh has sent me. Yahweh is always in the English Bible written as Lord in capital letters. Tell them the Lord has sent you. This is my name, says God, forever and ever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Well, knowing the name of God was a great help to Moses. He could go and say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The Lord has sent me. And the rest of Exodus is God living up to his name, proving that he's the eternal God, the rescuing God, the God who's come to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But let's fast forward to the New Testament now. Because the God of Moses has given us a new name to know him by, hasn't he? It is the name, the only name, which brings salvation. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, we might well know that Jesus takes the divine name, I am, to himself on multiple occasions to to reveal who he is, the God of the Bible, born as one of us. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And the teachers and leaders of Israel knew exactly what he was claiming and were outraged and tried to kill him. Because Jesus was claiming to be the Lord God of Moses, the great I am, the eternal and self-existent God in human flesh. In Revelation, Jesus describes himself as the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's very similar to I am who I am. But I want to finish in a moment with this. Right at the end of Matthew's gospel, we hear Jesus giving a final command to his church. And it's here that we discover God's call to you and to me. We're part of this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you. Those words that he said to Moses, I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you sit here this morning 
as someone who has put your trust in Jesus to say, yes, Lord, I do believe that you are the Son of God, God in human flesh, come to restore me to God, then you are part of God's people. You've been included in Christ and God calls you. You've been saved for a purpose. We are a people with a purpose. And that is to be part of this great big salvation plan for the world that began with Abraham and continues to what Jesus calls the end of the age, the time of his return, when God will wrap up human history. If you think you're unworthy, that you've made too many mistakes to be included in that, then look at the Gospels and see how Jesus calls some very interesting people indeed. Time and time again, we see Jesus treating people just like he does, God does with Moses, not on the basis of who they are when they meet him, but what they can be if they respond to his call, if they put their lives in his hands. As God was with Moses, so he is with us today in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus we meet the God who is I am. Come to meet us, to call us, to be with us for a purpose in the world. The church, Holy Trinity Church, is part of God's great plan in creation and salvation. We are his agents in the world in this generation. Isn't that a great call on our lives, a great significance for each and every one of us? Listen to these words from 1 Peter. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and into light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Just as God called Moses from the burning bush by name, so he calls you by name. There's nothing he doesn't know about you. He hasn't got the wrong person. He calls you firstly into relationship with him to have your sin forgiven, to give you a new identity among the people of God. Then he gives you a task alongside every other member of the church to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light, to name him, to tell the world about Jesus and his salvation. We have a God with a name, Jesus Christ, God born into history. We have a story to tell the world of how he's given his life on the cross for the salvation of the world, to bring men and women back into relationship with him, to bring them out from slavery to sin and into the promised land of an eternal relationship, eternal friendship with God, the relationship that you are made for. Do you feel part of that? It is the biggest thing going on in the world. The biggest thing going on in the world is not coronavirus. It's not international relationships. 
It's not even climate change, as important as that is. I'm not underestimating that. But what God is doing is bigger still. God's plan of salvation in Jesus is the solution to every human and global issue. And God calls you into it to be part of living and telling that good news. He calls us into it together and promises to be with us. It's easy to fall into the rut of thinking that coming to church is just about me and my relationship with God. It is that, but it's so much more. It's about being part of a people that God has called to himself to be part of his saving plans in history. And it's a high calling. So how are you serving Jesus in his church? How are you responding to being part of this big salvation plan of God? What does God want from you? He wants you to put your faith in him. He wants you to serve him where and how he calls you. He wants you to trust in his eternal presence with you. It's what Jesus calls life in all its fullness. Let's bow our heads and pray. Just a moment of silence to respond to uh, what God has said to us from his word this morning. Lord our God, thank you that we can know you. We can know this great call on our lives. Lord, by your grace, would we be those who respond gladly to the name of Jesus, to his call on our lives. Lord, help us to know where and how we would serve you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.